Well, good morning, Four Oaks family. So glad that you've joined us here for our online worship service. I'm glad that you're joining us from your home. Though we know that nothing can truly, uh, nothing can truly replace the physical gathering of God's people, I'm so excited for the, the many digital ways that the Lord seems to be uniting our hearts uh, as a church body uh, through the technology that we have. And so we want to um, continue to lean into that during this unique season, participate together. Um, we want to make the most of our time together. So, so like, share, comment, start a watch party, participate together in, in this worship service. We want to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. So though we're gathering in really a scattered way, it's important for us to continue to solidify our, our worship rhythms, to, to draw upon the strength, to strengthen our souls in the gospel, and to look to, to the God who, who leads us joyfully, who is with us, and who cares for us. So as we begin, let me read a passage of scripture, and I'd love for you, wherever you're at, to read it along with me. The words will be on the bottom of the screen. Isaiah 43 says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. So let's sing together. Your hope is built. Face. I rest on his 
unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil oh my anchor holds within the veil Christ alone upon the strength of God this morning. Scripture reminds us, encourages us, says, have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this morning, let's encourage ourselves in the strength and the gospel in our God. Let's sing together.
salvation You are the one who lights my way Through the dark night You will lead me This is who you are This is who you are So lift it up, lift it up And let's praise this to our God Full of grace, full of love And He's reigning over us Oh, I know you are 
We can certainly rest in our God's ability to rule and to reign in our hearts and our lives, our families and our world. But at the same time, church, it's, it's okay to lament, to lament the brokenness of this life, of this world. It's not how it was meant to be. It's actually a good thing that we long after the unhindered presence of our God. To know that our hope is that we will, we will be with him one day. And that the curse of this life will fall away. Let's just acknowledge that this week we faced disappointments. We faced loneliness. Some of you, difficulty in your work. Maybe loss of a job even. Uncertainty of our, our plans. Things we've had to cancel. Just the curse of sin all around us. But this morning we take great comfort. I take great comfort in this future glimpse that we see here in Revelation 21. And let me read it for you. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Take great comfort in that this morning. So normally this song we sing is a song of a response where I would sing and then you would respond back and forth. This morning I think it'd be appropriate for us to sing this to our own souls. Just as, as the psalmist many times talks to his own soul, reminds him of the truth that he knows in the scripture. I think it'd be good for us to sing this song all together wherever you're at. Sing it to your soul. Let's strengthen ourselves in the truth that we know. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming?
passage of scripture which says in Philippians 3.12 not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own let's rest confidently in the truth that our God has us he is keeping us
And I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast And I could never keep my hope Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast Pastor Scott here, so glad that you could join us today. Uh, 
for those of you who are guests with us, we're particularly grateful that you joined us. And really for all of us as a Four Oaks family, it's a, it's a weird experience for us to be um, not together physically, but at the same time, what a gift it is that we have technology here as well. And ultimately, we know that it's not technology that binds our hearts together. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. He is the one who unites our hearts, whether we're at home or we're with friends, wherever we might be, that we know that the Holy Spirit is is uniting our hearts as we're worshiping Him today. And so we just want to thank you for being here. If you are a guest, there is a connect form that you can fill out online uh, to let us know that you're here. We'd love to follow up with you, serve you in any way we can, particularly in this challenging time. And also, it's just been fun for us um, as a Four Oaks family, even though Uh, You know, this is not the ideal format. We are just super grateful for all the ways that we have been able to connect this past week and that we're looking forward to in the weeks to come. Uh, On on our website, there is an updates page that lets you know how you can connect throughout the week. There's a calendar there. And so Pastor Paul has been leading us in a devotional every morning on Acts. Our pastors, we've all been uh, leading some prayer time at noon. Our youth, they had their first Wednesday night live service and Bible studies and community groups are trying to gather together as well virtually. And so even though we all can't be here together um, physically, we are super grateful for all the ways that we can uh, connect technologically. And uh, last but not least, I just want to mention to you and encourage you towards giving. Uh, Many of you give via check and we're so grateful for that. You can still give. Uh, through our through through the snail mail, but ideally we'd love for you to be able to give online through our new format called Planning Center. And so you can either text to give or you can give uh, with your credit card or, or debit card as well. Um, and we want for all of these things, whether we're uh, whether we're giving or we're, we're gathering together, whatever we might be doing, we want all of these things to be done uh, with the Spirit uniting our hearts together. Uh, That's the real desire that we have. And so even right now, as we are gathering together this Sunday morning, uh, Holy Spirit, please move in our hearts in such a way that we would worship, worship the Lord together. And so I want to read this passage of scripture as we, um, as we continue our time of worship. This is from Psalm 34. It's been such an encouragement to me, and I pray it could be an encouragement to you. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. You know, even though we're in a hard time right now, we still have many reasons to praise the Lord together. And we want to trust that as we seek the Lord, that he will answer us, that he will deliver us from all of our fears, and that when we look to him, our faces will radiate the love of Christ to those around us, and that all of our shame will be wiped away, and we will be able to trust in God completely and say, God, you're with us, you're for us, and you're working all things together for our good. And so with that, let me just pray for us. Oh, God, we want to come to you now. We want to invite your presence here as we continue to worship you through song and through the teaching of your word and through our giving and through all the different ways that we are desiring to connect with one another. We recognize that technology isn't a replacement for face-to-face connection, but at the same time, we thank you that your spirit unites our hearts together. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, continue to do that work in us and through us for our good for the good of our community, and for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Four Oaks family, for joining us this morning. 
If you would, please join me as we open God's Word. We're going to be reading from Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return, for serving me another seven years. 
Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Thanks for joining us wherever you happen to be right now. I'm Paul Gilbert, lead pastor, and um, we can't be together face-to-face, but this will have to do for right now. I know many of you have been spending your free time, have you not, binge-watching Netflix. Maybe you've been mesmerized about shows of dysfunctional people raising exotic pets. And now let's be honest, as dysfunctional as some of that stuff is, none of it is more captivating, none of it is more mesmerizing, and none of it is more dysfunctional than what we see right here in the text this morning. And that's one of the reasons I love the Bible. It's real people living real lives with real brokenness, needing real mercy and grace from God. See, fundamentally, the Bible is not about us and what we have to do to get to God. It's about what God has done for us to get to us. And we're going to clearly see that in this passage this morning. Now, last time we were all together, we've obviously been making our way through the book of Genesis for some time now. But last time we left Jacob, remember, he had left a pile of relational carnage in his wake. Remember, he had deceived his father. He had deceived Esau. He had cheated him out of his birthright and blessing. And Esau was ready to, to wring Jacob's neck, literally. And Rachel said, you better get up and get on out of here and run far away because your brother Esau was going to kill you. And remember, Jacob left. He was alone. He was desperate. He was needy. He was penniless. He was homeless. He, did, he literally only had the shirt on his back. And he laid his head down on a rock and he went to sleep. And remember, we saw how God appeared to him in a dream. And he rehearsed for Jacob the promise that he had for him. He reminded Jacob that he was going to make Jacob into a great nation. That he was going to to accomplish through Jacob's line this grand vision of blessing the entire world. And then he As an assurance of that promise, he gave Jacob a glimpse of this stairway to heaven. And it was his way of communicating to Jacob, I am with you. The commerce between heaven and earth is open. I have come to you. I have made peace with you despite your sin. I'm going to go with you, Jacob. And we saw, did we not, that Jacob began to respond with saving faith. It was an immature faith, it was a young faith, it was a nascent faith, but it was saving faith nonetheless. Now when we pick this up in our story this morning, you will note in verse 1 and 2, and look there with me, when it says, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Literally in the Hebrew, when it says he went on his way, it, it literally means he picked up his feet. He was full of joy, he had a spring in his step. Because I'm from from Tennessee, I'll I'll reference this. Jacob was walking in Memphis, right? 
He was walking with his feet 10 feet off of Bill. He was, he was alive. He was getting a new start, a fresh beginning. Yet, yet, as we're going to see, God wasn't just giving Jacob a new start. God had a more fundamental purpose at work. You see, God wanted to change Jacob's heart. He wanted to change Jacob from the inside out. Now, as Christians, we call this process sanctification. And sanctification is very different than justification. Justification, remember, it happens at the point of conversion where God acts and he declares us righteous and he saves us and accepts us. That's a one-time thing. But sanctification is what happens after that. Sanctification is God's commitment to you and to me if we are in Christ. It's God's commitment to us to make us righteous, to transform us into the image of Christ, to make us like Jesus personally, relationally, practically, experientially. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us of this, and let me read this quote from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The four oaks sanctification is serious business because sanctification is God's radical commitment to you and to me to work in our lives to make us more like him and unless we understand how radical that commitment is we won't understand the story this is called God's providential pain and the two points will be in fact just those God's providence and God's pain in Jacob's life Let's look back at verses 1 and 2 under God's providence. It says that Jacob has made this journey, and we think this might have taken him some three three weeks, hundreds of miles from his homeland, back to Mesopotamia where Abraham was originally from. And it says as he's journeying across the land, he comes across this well. And there are herdsmen that are gathered at this well getting ready to water their flock. Now, if this all sounds familiar, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Yogi Berra on this. Yogi Berra was a player and manager for the New York Yankees. He had many famous sayings, none of which made any sense. But he did say, it's like deja vu all over again. And that's definitely what we see in this passage. If you've been with us studying Genesis, we've seen this scene played out before, haven't we? Remember back in Genesis 24 when Abraham sent Eleazar, his servant, to go find Isaac, a wife. And remember how God guided him to the very well and the very town and the very person and the very family for whom Isaac would find a wife. And of course, that person was Rebecca. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. And I'm, I'm indebted to Lick Duncan for making this observation. I think it's right on. Remember, Jacob was particularly close to his mom, who was Rebecca, who was the person in that original story. 
And undoubtedly, she had told Jacob this story about how her and Isaac first met, the providential circumstances. He undoubtedly had heard it a hundred times. And kids, if you're out there watching, listening this morning, students, you know those those stories that you've heard from your parents so many times. You could tell the story uh, before they begin to tell it to you again. Well, undoubtedly, um, Rebecca had shared this story with Jacob probably hundreds of times. And as Jacob approaches these group of shepherd men at this well, and then he first, he finds out that they're from Haran. Then he finds out that they, in fact, know his uncle Laban. And then he discovers that, in fact, Laban's daughter is someone who who shows up every day right then, right there in that place with her sheep to water. I'm sure it begins to dawn on him, doesn't it? Is this the same well? Is this the same place? Is God going before me just like he went before my father Isaac? And undoubtedly he is saying God is working. And he sees God's providential hand bringing all these things together just like he had for his own family. And so as this is all happening, Jacob, look back at the text, makes a request of these men. He said, listen, Instead of waiting for all of the sheep to show up at once, why don't you go ahead and water your sheep and get on out of this place? Now, why is he saying that? Well, clearly, he wants them to scram. He wants them to beat it. He wants them to make like a tree and leave. He, he, he knows this is his big opportunity. Rachel is coming to the well, and he wants them out of the way so that he can sort of make his moves But they tell him, no, 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 we can't do that. We have to wait till everybody gets here because it takes all of us in conjunction to roll this stone away. And it must have been a massive stone, a heavy stone. These were probably younger shepherds. It took all of them sort of at once to remove the stone. They only wanted to do it one time to water all the sheep. But in the meantime, as all this is being played out, Rachel arrives. This reminds me, when we were back in college, University of Tennessee in Knoxville, we used to play pickup basketball games. And undoubtedly, because we were all filled with the Spirit, they were, while they were competitive and intense, they were friendly, right? We hung out, and that was when we still gave each other fist bumps and high fives and those sorts of things. And we'd go out afterwards and get something to eat, and it was all friendly. But I remember this one particular day, it was not so friendly at all. It was like a modern-day MMA championship. There were elbows and fists, and people were setting picks and getting shoved into the fence. And I remember some guy threw a ball at another guy, and everybody is, 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 is on, you know, DEFCON 1 of intensity. And you may say, well, what, what was the difference in this day? Well, the difference, of course, was that the girls from our campus ministry had showed up, and they were watching the game and everybody's energy and testosterone and ego was sort of released at one time. And that's what's happening in this passage. Because it tells us that Jacob comes and he rolls the stone away on his own. It's his way of flexing and showing off and communicating to, to, to Rachel. He's there. He means business. And then he tells her who he is And then it says he kisses her. Now, let me just say something. This poor girl, right? This poor girl has no idea what's going on. 
And it says she does the only sensible thing that you would want your own daughter to do. She runs home, leaves Jacob there, and tells her dad about all of this. And so the scene plays out here, and Laban comes out to Jacob. And we pick it back up in the story where, Joe, where, where Jacob begins to tell his uncle Laban the whole story, how he got there, what had happened, what was going on, to which... Laban responds to Jacob, flesh of my flesh, this is in verse 14, bone of my bone. In other words, just a euphemism for mi casa e su casa, Jacob. My house is your house. My family is your family. We are receiving you by the grace of God. Now, if you are Jacob at this point, is this not just a sweet providence? You, you have come all of this way. You have been on the run for your life. You have um, had your brother nipping at your heels wanting to kill you. But here God has delivered you to this place and this time and given you a new start. He's, he's shown you this woman, the love of your, dream, the, the love of your dreams. You, you've met your uncle. He's received you into his house. He's going to give you a job. What providence, I'm sure Jacob was saying at this point, what favor, what grace, God is good. And he is good. He doesn't stop being good. But see, Jacob thought he was there merely to get a new start. But God knew he was there to be changed. You see, Jacob had a had a huge skeleton in his closet, did he not? He had relational carnage from back in his earlier days. And his earlier days weren't two decades ago. They were two weeks ago, two months ago. His faith is in its infancy. And what we are going to see under the second point is God's commitment to Jacob to make him like him, to make Jacob, to conform Jacob to his image. Now I have to wonder, Four Oaks, if this season, this is something that you and I need to be reminded of. That God's commitment to us as his children goes far beyond simply making our relationships better or providing for us financially or healing our bodies or protecting us from sickness as important as all of those are. God has a much more radical agenda, though, for us, and that is to make us like him, and that's what we're going to see with Jacob. God's pain, second point. Derek Kidner, about what happens next, says this. He says, in Laban, and I love this quote, Jacob met his match and his means of discipline. One of the things that Moses notes for us here is that Rachel had a sister, a sister, older sister named Leah. And it said that while Rachel was beautiful in form, it said that Leah has or had weak eyes. Now, that may sound a little strange to us, but Tim Keller notes that clearly Moses is not talking about her eyesight. Otherwise, he would have said something like, Rachel could see a long way off. But Leah, you know, she was blind as a bat. No, no, it, it doesn't mean that. It's a play on words. And, and it seems to be saying, while Rachel was beautiful, Leah 
not so much. Leah, in fact, was hard on the eyes. She was not easy to look at. It's, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing for us here that we can assume that Laban must have perceived it's going to be difficult to get someone to marry Leah. And we get the sense in this passage, don't we, that Rachel seemed to have always been preferred over Leah in everything. This was a sibling rivalry. And so Laban sees an opening, does he not? He's not obtuse to, to, to Jacob and his interest in Rachel. And so he asks the question, look back at the text. He says, so, 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 so Jacob, tell me, what shall your wages be for working for me? We're not gonna, you're not going to work for me for, for nothing. It sounds magnanimous, right? And Jacob is right out there. This is no longer cold, cool, calculating Jacob. This is impulsive Jacob. This is love-struck Jacob. And he says, I want your daughter, Rachel, and I'm willing to work seven years to get her. Now, something you need to know is that while bridal prices were sometimes paid in the ancient Near East, this is an extraordinary sum. This is, this is maybe twice as much as what someone typically would expect in terms of giving a gift to the family of the daughter that he is marrying. And I think it's the point Moses is wanting to emphasize to us is that Jacob is love-struck. Jacob is in rapture. Jacob is in love. And this, of course, is going to give Laban all the leverage he needs. Now, notice how crafty Laban is in terms of the way that he responds to Jacob's request to, to marry Rachel. He says, uh, well, it, it's, look, look down at verse 19. It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Do you notice something? Laban doesn't answer Jacob. He doesn't give him a straight answer. He, he, Jacob asks for Rachel, but Laban's playing the politician. He's evasive. He, he gives him, the, well, 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 of course, in theory, Jacob, it's better to give, you, give her to you than someone else. So Jacob works for seven years. Now, when, it, when the end of that time has come, you notice, look at verse 21, that something is not quite right because in the Hebrew, Jacob speaks to Laban as if giving him an order or giving him a command. He says, give me my wife that I may go into her. It's almost as if at the end of the seven years, Laban has begun holding out on Jacob. And Jacob has to confront him and say, hey, we need to finish this deal here. But all we know is that Laban's kind of beating around the bush and he's obviously scheming about how he can turn this to its advantage. He has an older daughter who's, in his eyes, unmarriable, and he has this willing and able man and put two and two together, and he says, well, of course, so let's have the wedding feast. Now, in those days, the wedding feast, the custom, it wasn't just a wedding day, it was a wedding week, and you would begin with a day of feasting and drinking and probably even more drinking, Right? And it was on the first night, the wedding night, where the bride and groom would come together to consummate the marriage, and then they would celebrate for six more days with everybody. Now, it's not hard to imagine what had happened here. 
and how Laban was able to work this to his advantage. Here you have Jacob is full of wine and drinking all day. They're celebrating, obviously. And then it's dark at night. There is no electricity. And it was the custom then that the bride would go in to her wedding night veiled, which is undoubtedly what happened. They woke up the next morning, and, and, the, and the nature of the, of the wording in the Hebrew is, surprise, look who's here. It's not Rachel, it's Leah. Now let me ask you, how would you feel in that very moment if you were Jacob? How would you feel in that very moment if you were Leah? We're going to talk about Leah's story next week because she was clearly very complicit in this and whispered sweet nothings pretending to be Rachel in Jacob's ear all night. Right now, let's just talk about Jacob. And some of you can fully identify with that. Maybe as we're reading this story, you can think immediately to a time you were betrayed to a time that you were stabbed in the back, to a time that you were deceived, to a time that you were treated unjustly. Do do you not in you this morning like feel this sense of like sympathy, empathy? Your heart breaks for Jacob in this moment. But listen to what Derek Kidner says again about this. He says this moment is a miniature of man's disillusioned, experienced from Eden onwards. This moment is a miniature of man's disillusioned, experienced from Eden onward. What does he mean? He means that Jacob had placed all of his hope, his energy, his emotion, his vision into this one person. Jacob had what had to be considered to be an inordinate amount of of fixation and energy focused on Rachel. He's enraptured by her beauty. He performs feats of strength. Seven years, it tells in the text, seemed as nothing to him. He invested all of his life, his emotion, his money, his energy into that one thing that he believed he needed the most to be happy. But as Tim Keller says, in the morning... It's still Leah. God has a redemptive plan for Leah. We're going to talk about that next week. But for now, let me just ask you, church, what do Rachel and Leah symbolize for you in this story? What is is that Rachel in your life? That thing that going into this season One month ago even, six weeks ago, you would have said, Pastor Paul, that's my thing. That's my jam. That's my my place. That's the thing that brings me happiness and wholeness and joy. Maybe it was your ministry. Maybe it was your money or your career or your freedom or a relationship or your control. This was your Rachel But you woke up one morning and you realized it's still Leah. What's the Rachel in your life? What's the Leah in your life? And wherever those places intersect, let me just 
lean into us a little bit to say this. I believe that's the very place that God wants to do his work in your life and in my life. And so Jacob is crushed and he goes, look at verse 25, and he goes to Laban and he says, why have you deceived me? Now, interesting thing about that word, this is the very same word that Esau uses when he tells Isaac, my brother has what? Deceived me. And we can imagine, even as the words are tumbling out of Jacob's mouth at this point, that, that, that Jacob begins to have the veil torn from his eyes and he begins to see clearly. And I can just imagine what's going through his mind. I tricked my father and now Laban has tricked me. My father was blinded by the dark. I was blinded by the dark. He, my father couldn't see that it was Esau and I couldn't see that it wasn't Rachel. I was disguised Leah was disguised. And we can imagine at this point that everything begun, begins to come crashing down upon Jacob emotionally, and he is exposed for who he is. Lord, I am the man. Not like I am the man, but I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm Laban. I'm Leah. Now, culturally, at this point, this would make for great reality TV, right? This is karma. This is, this is payback. But from God's perspective, now listen closely, you have to see this. But from God's perspective, this is grace. Because this is the way God is going to make proud, decisive autonomous, independent Jacob into the humble, dependent, broken, lowly man of God that God is calling him to be. And for Oaks, this, this is what God does for the people he loves. Proverbs 3 tells us this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he what? Loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Can I just say this? If this season of pandemic is merely for you and I a crisis to be managed, then we are going to miss the deep, deep spiritual work and lessons that God wants to do in our hearts and lives the fact that he wants to teach us what it means to love our neighbor. What he wants to teach us about not being anxious about what tomorrow brings. What he wants to teach us about drawing close to him and communing in, in worship and intimacy with our Savior. What he wants to teach us about the opportunity we have now to proclaim real hope, gospel hope to people. He wants to teach us about where we are placing our hope and confidence and that if it's not in the unwavering sovereignty and plan of God, then we have nothing. And the reality is, you and I, we just don't learn those things naturally, do we? 
God has to bring them into our lives. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He said, bad things happen to us, terrible things happen to us. In fact, we despaired of our lives. But then Paul says, but this happened so that we would not depend upon ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. Okay, Pastor Paul, maybe wherever you're sitting right now, you got my attention. Now what? Jacob must have been thinking the same thing, right? Now what, Lord? And so he goes to Laban and he gets no relief there. He gets the proverbial, son, that's the way we do things in this here part of the country, right? As he tosses his cigarette to the ground. That's, that's what he gets from, from Laban. The only place that Jacob can go at that point, I think, is back to that night in Hebron. His first night on the run, using that stone for a pillow, where God drew near to Jacob. Where God showed Jacob this vision of a stairway to heaven. Where God said, Jacob, I've bridged this gulf between you and me. I've come near to you. You can't come near to me. I've come near to you. And I think Jacob had to remind himself at this point that this stairway that God had shown him hadn't gone anywhere. In fact, it had been there the whole time. That it was still there. That it was still open. That God is still coming up and going down. That God is still coming to him, serving him, ministering to him, he had to be reminded, just like we do, that this stairway hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, God is still with me. Folks, where in your life do you need to be reminded this morning that the stairway hasn't gone anywhere? We know, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago from John chapter 1, that the stairway is actually Jesus himself. That it's Jesus who has made this path open between us and God. Jesus is the pathway. And only he, of all the realities in the world, of all philosophies, religions, religious figures, books, only he can claim that because he lived a perfectly righteous life. He died a substitute death for us. He was raised to life, resurrected to show us his power over sin and death. And now he is ascended in heaven right now, interceding for you and me, praying for us. See, Jacob had to remind himself of the good news. And we have to do the same. I was talking to my friend Pete Butler this morning, and he was sharing a story he had read about, about what's going on in California right now. And if you've ever been to California, you know it's, it's, it's the land flowing with smog, right? I spent a summer out there uh, 30 years ago and um, suffering for Jesus with Campus Crusade in Newport Beach, California. And I remember being told that it's not often that it happens, but once or twice this summer, if the wind blows just right and the fog clears out and the clouds part, that you can see Catalina Island right off the shore there. Just, you get a glimpse of it. It's just gorgeous, beautiful. But now Pete was reminding me that what's happened in California because people have stopped driving their cars, at least like they were, and the smog has begun to filter out and the air has become clear, 
people are now seeing things that they had not seen in a long time or maybe never even seen before from that perspective. Maybe they live two miles away. Now they can see the ocean. They can see the mountains. They can see Catalina Island. They can see the the waves. And that's what God does for us in times of pain and suffering and hardship and uncertainty. He removes the clouds from our eyes so that we can see more clearly. Folks, I believe that we are in such a time as this. That God is supernaturally opening our eyes to say, all this that you've placed your hope in, it's in the end of the day, it's all Leah. It's all Leah. It's never going to satisfy. It's never, you're never going to be able to rely upon it. You're never ever going to be able to place certainty in it. So come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for us to see what's really happening in this season of our life, we need to really see the way it is that you work in the lives of your people. Lord, that, that you oftentimes orchestrate a painful providence for us so that we can see clearly, so that we can discern our hearts, that we can see reality for what it truly is, because it's at that place, Lord, that you begin to go to work on our hearts. You begin to perform your surgery and your miraculous work. And Father, we pray that this season would be that. We don't want it to go to waste. Lord, we, we, we don't want to dig our heels in and, and refuse to learn the lessons that you want to impart to us. So Father, let us remind ourselves of our hope today, found only in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my hope is only By my side, the Savior, He will stay. 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll be done this morning.
Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We are forgiven. Our future is sure. We know that Jesus goes before us and strengthens us as his people. We ask that you would continue to help us to look to you in the coming weeks. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.